0: And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story, real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors.
1: Well, congratulations, you made it to Thursday. It's the second best day of the week. And uh, here we get going through the mid of June. That means we're getting ready to wrap up the quarter. Two more weeks to go to wrap up this quarter. And of course, now we've got all the important data behind us, right? Inflation data, both CPI and PPI, the Federal Reserve meeting yesterday, lots of stuff to talk about today. Of course, Michael Liebowitz will join me. We'll go through what the Fed said and what they didn't say yesterday and what the, how the market took it, which was kind of interesting uh, overall. So we'll get into all of that this morning. Uh, of course, but a uh, quick update on the markets though, you know, not surprisingly, uh, markets continue to remain very, very extended here. And again, this has just kind of been a repetitive statement for the last couple of weeks. You know, despite all these concerns about a recession and, and you know, slowing economic data and, and certainly valid concerns, I'm not dismissing those at all. Uh, the market has really just taken off after we broke out of that consolidation range and, and remember we had talked about this uh, back in May is that the market had spent about 45 days in a very tight consolidation range wasn't really going up wasn't going down just kind of stuck. And we said well if we break out of this range to the upside we are have a pretty decent move higher. Uh, And then a break to the downside, of course, would be a pretty decent move lower. Well, we broke out to the upside, and we've had a fairly decent move higher here over the last uh, two weeks. Now, we've talked about this before, what's called a buying stampede. There's In the market, you have two different types of stampede. You have a buying stampede and guess what? A selling stampede. Yeah, they they tend to work together. Um, What happens is, is these are periods where... Buyers enter the market or sellers enter the market, depending on what it is. And these stampedes tend to last about 14 to 16 day trading days on average. Uh, they can go longer. Um, we've seen them go for longer periods. Um, right now, we're starting to push kind of the upper end of that range of this, buy, of this current buying stampede. So what does that mean? Well, markets can't just go up indefinitely, right? They, they, they have to have corrections. They have to have pullbacks from time to time. And that's just a function of what allows the markets to work over time. If we take a, you know, just as an example, take a look at a really long-term chart of the S&P, you know, we can see that, yeah, the market trends higher over time, but it does so kind of bumpy. Um, You know, there's ups, there's downs. and, And when the markets get well elevated above a particular kind of a moving average or a trend line, whatever it is, those tend to have like a gravitational pull and, and pull prices back. So, you know, right now the expectation is, is this market is just going to keep going higher. And, and retail investors are now jumping in literally into the pool with both feet. And we're seeing this in terms of both investor sentiment as well as investor allocations to equities, retail investor to equity allocations, all rising really sharply here over the last two weeks. Finally, the idea of this bear market is, is moving behind us. And now investors are going, OK, it's over, got to get back in. And so we're seeing this a, a fairly aggressive move of retail investors jumping into the markets now, chasing stocks. Of course, they're chasing the, you know, technology stocks, semiconductor stocks, et cetera. Um, that's been the real move here as of late. Very similar to what we saw back in 2020 when we had that 35% meltdown in the market. Markets took a little bit of time to start recovering, but once that recovery was underway... And of course, at that time, we had the Federal Reserve doing, you know, quantitative easing and a lot of other supports. Then all of a sudden, investors kind of just dove in headfirst. They were buying everything, low-quality stocks, fundamentally weak stocks, et cetera. All those were kind of the big chase. We're seeing a bit of that same action here again today. Um, that's just a, a issue of kind of how market dynamics work. But here's the important part that we're getting to. And again, we see this on both the S&P and the NASDAQ. Um, The market has gotten really extended here. Again, we talked about deviations from long-term moving averages. Those are getting to fairly extreme levels here. Relative strength index, of course, uh, kind of a good measure of of markets being short-term overbought. Is it levels that typically you're above 80 on the S&P right now on the relative strength index? That typically tends to be kind of where markets peak short-term, and not just uh in bear you know if this is a bear market still right Uh, a lot of people still suggesting this is a bear market rally if that's the case um you know if we step back and look at the market over the last couple of years in particular the the kind of the bull market period even then we see that when you get to fairly elevated levels of relative strength that's typically tends to where you get short-term peaks in the markets even during a rising bull market and that's certainly okay because uh, again, you know, we need opportunities to put allocations back to work in portfolios. And that's, you know, that's kind of the the, the, the thing that you want to do in managing your money is not necessarily just, oh, I've got to get in right now because stocks are just leaving me behind. That's typically the point that you want to be a little bit careful about jumping in the market. Let the market come back to you. It's not going to correct a lot, mind you. We'll get a correction of four, five, six, seven percent come back down to some of these moving averages. And there's a lot of support in the markets right now. From where we are, we've got the 20-day, the 50 and the 100-day all sitting well above the 200-day moving average. So there's a lot of support on the way down for this market to correct to, hold those supports, work off some of the overbought condition, and give you a better opportunity to enter the market and add some exposure to portfolios. The most logical place for a correction is about 4,000. 4,010, 4,020 on the S&P, somewhere in there. That's kind of that previous range that we were in back in May. That's along all these tops that we were setting from the beginning of the year. So we've had this very clear breakout of the market of that trading range that really began back in January. We broke out of that, set a new high for the year. We're now at a 52-week high as well. Funny story about that. I was doing an interview on Fox Business, and Charles Payne says we've had the – a new high after 360 days, 52-week high after 360 trading days. Yeah, that's exactly what 360 trading days is. It's 52 weeks. So that's why it's a 52-week high. But I didn't say that to Charles Payne. I like you respect him too much. Anyway, the point was is that, yes, we've had a 52-week high. Normally, this suggests that whatever negative trend you had previously is now over, and your odds are that markets are gonna wind up higher, but it's going to have a correction along the way first. Now, what will cause it? That's a totally different story, right? You would think that, and again, we'll, t- we'll kind of talk about this uh, with Michael Leibowitz here in just a couple of minutes, but with the Fed speech yesterday, certainly wasn't the dovish expectation that markets have been hoping for, but yet markets didn't really blink that much. They sold off a little bit on the initial announcement, recovered, finished about flat for the day across the board. But again, with a a realization that any rate cuts are not coming soon, you would have expected maybe that might have pulled some of the wind out of the markets. But again, this is the problem with the market right now. You have a lot of exuberance in the markets. There is a a lot of exuberance and greed factors are really starting to rise rapidly here. So again, this market can remain, as, as John Maynard Keynes once said, this market can remain illogical longer than you can remain solvent. So the potential of trying to short this market right now, certainly not to your advantage at all. So just be very careful with that at the moment. So anyway. A lot of stuff going on. Uh, Again, get by the website. Michael Leibowitz did write an article. We had a two-part article on our website about sector rotations, something that we've talked about a lot recently. Part two was out yesterday on the website. So go by realinvestmentadvice.com. Get a copy of that article. While you're there, also make sure you subscribe for our newsletter. We'll have that out this weekend talking a little bit about this market and kind of where we go to next. What's the potential and, and where, if you get a correction, where will that correction likely find support. So that's going to be on the weekend newsletter uh, at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Subscribe, we'll email it to you on Saturday as soon as I get it done. I get up early on Saturday to write it just for you. So make sure you read it. All right, be right back after the break with Michael Leibwitz. Don't go away.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Oh, Red, I declare, I missed that candy coffee. Whatever am I gonna do? Don't you worry, little darling, we'll watch it again on our YouTube channel. Why, Red? never the real investment show youtube channel has all of our past presentations from candid coffee and lunch and learn to special topic discussions and all of our live show recordings preserved for you subscribe now to the real investment show youtube channel or look for the link on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show
1: And welcome back to the show. Of course, it is a Thursday. It is the post FOMC meeting uh, day, and as we said, uh, Michael Lee was joining me this morning to talk about it. So again, yesterday the markets uh, rallied pretty strongly out of the gate, was uh, you know making its move higher on kind of the expectation the Fed was going to just pause. Period. And of course, if the Fed pauses, the expectation is that the Fed will then begin to cut rates. And, of course, you have to ask the question, the logical question, is why would the Fed cut rates? And you're talking about substantially lower rates of inflation, slower economic growth, these type of things. And the, the reason they cut rates is obviously to help provide that support for a slowing economic environment. So um, – the Fed meeting comes out, and, of course, the initial announcement is they, they do indeed pause, which was highly expected. The problem for the market came when they actually looked at the dot plot, which suggested, though, that there are potentially for two more rate hikes this year. So, in other words, it was a, a very hawkish pause, I guess you could say, um, because everybody was expecting them just to pause and be done, but not this idea of potentially two more rate hikes in the cake. So that took the market by a little bit of surprise. Market sold off initially, and then, of course, Jerome Powell started speaking, and then markets kind of recovered and finished the day flat as, you know, kind of some of the conversation which we'll get into this morning, you know, suggests that maybe it's kind of a dovish hawkish kind of pause thing. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, the market is trying to find a reason to be bullish right now. So anyway, Mike, uh, welcome to the show this morning. What was your initial takeaway from the meeting yesterday?
2: you know what i think we're we're getting into a new part of the fed rate cycle where they're basically telling us we're we're at the end of the line now whether there's one or two more stations left on this track could be but we're at the end of the line i think what's more important is not necessarily whether the fed does one or more but what do they do when do they start cutting rates and I think that's where the market remains very much different from what the Fed thinks, right? If you remember, we were talking in February, March, and the market thought the Fed would cut Fed funds rate by one, I think one and a half at one point by the end of this year. Now there's a 7% chance they cut rates by the end of this year. So the market caught up with the Fed in this case. If we look at Fed funds futures for next year, they're expecting one and a quarter percent of rate cuts. The Fed thinks, based on what they said yesterday, based on their quote unquote dot plots, that they'll cut by about 50 basis points. Um, So, But the market is implying a 70% chance that they raise by 25. So in the short run, I think the market and the Fed are on the same page, but I think the market is waiting for this moment And that moment is when the Fed starts cutting. Market thinks they'll start cutting aggressively. Fed thinks they're just going to inch Fed funds down. You know, maybe every every three meetings, they drop rates by 25. So what I keep thinking about is exactly what you said, Lance. Why would they cut rates? And there's basically, I think, two reasons or three reasons they'd cut rates. One is that we have a crisis going on a uh, geopolitical crisis, something else that that will really hurt the economy and they see it coming and they cut rates. The other is the economy itself. We just go into a recession or growth really starts slowing or unemployment starts rising much quicker. Um, That's kind of a second reason, which there are really no signs of You know, there are certainly signs of slowing economic growth, but zero signs, that, very few signs that employment is, the labor market's cooling off. And then the other one is that inflation just comes down sharply. Um, And then the Fed just gradually lowers rates. So when you look at what the Fed thinks, that's what they think, that inflation will just continue (coughs) gradually lower but the economy and employment aren't going to get, aren't going to be in a recession and that they can just slowly decrease rates. That sounds great. That sounds perfect in theory, but that's never happened. The, the fed always drop rates, drops rates aggressively because when rates are much higher than the econ, than the economic growth, the potential economic growth of the economy, you get a recession. And here we are today with Fed funds at five to five and a quarter percent in an economy that's that's a that's really a sub two percent economy. The, the The Fed is really putting the brakes on this economy The the economy is just not slowing down yet.
1: Yeah. And, and so, it's kind of interesting because even Jerome Powell made that mention. He says there's no real sign of recession right now. And I thought this quote was in particular. He says it will be appropriate to cut rates at such time as inflation is coming down really significantly. And again, we're talking about a couple of years out. As anyone can see, not a single person on the committee wrote down a rate cut this year. Nor do I think it will at all likely be appropriate. Right. Um, you know, but again, this goes back to what you're saying: is that in order for the Fed to be cutting rates, you know, when he's saying that inflation has to really be coming down significantly, he's not talking about you know it just slowing down. at, you know right. to doing two percent you know, 0.02 percent a month. He's talking about a very steep decline in inflation or deflation, which would be coincident with the onset of a recession. So, again, you know, the, the, uh, the misread, I think, by the markets is, is, OK, we're done hiking and some gradual cuts are going to come along and now we're going to restart QE and this expectation of return of liquidity um, and monetary accommodation, I think, is the part that the, the market is misreading at this point.
2: Yeah, and here's the other thing. When we talk about inflation, there's 42,000 ways to calculate inflation that the 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 Fed looks at. Forget the other 82,000 ways. So, you know, we're going to look at core core CPI fell to what it fell to 4.1 percent. Yeah, from from uh, I, I want to say 4.8 or 4.9. Next month, it's going to fall to the low threes. That's the year-over-year year rate, and that's solely a function of what happened a year ago when inflation was almost rising 1% a month. We know that will happen. So the headlines are going to say that inflation is at 3%, and it'll probably drop into the upper twos as we get kind of later into, uh, later into uh, the summer, early fall. Yep. So the market's going to be saying, wait, inflation is 3%, maybe even below 3%. PPI is now almost flat, and PPI will probably go either to zero or negative, uh, which is a good leading indicator of CPI. And the market's going to start questioning the Fed, right? We, The market will say, look, we know we're not at 2%, but we're also not at 7% or 8%. We've come a long way. Why aren't you doing anything? And the Fed is going to say, well, if you look at core services, excluding housing with this, with that, it's still sticky. And yes, there are components of inflation that remain sticky, but those are starting to come down as well. So I think the Fed's gonna start running out of excuse, out of inflation excuses. Mm -hmm. But if the economy remains hot, it's hard to to see why they would really want to lower rates by, by a significant amount. Maybe a token 25 basis points here or there, which is kind of what they're telling you. But if, if I'm them, I want to save save that the ability to cut rates significantly until we get it until we get into a recession. Right. So, you know, try to put yourself in Jerome Powell's shoes. Not not not. You know, everyone kind of puts themselves into the market fuse and what the popular narratives are and what you read on CNBC and Market Watch. But put yourself in Jerome Powell's shoes and think about the potential problems down the road and what he can do if we go into a deep recession.
1: That's right. And, and again, this is, uh, you know, this is the risk that the markets run right now is this kind of this deviation between, you know, what they keep hoping for. And again, you know, markets are running up on expectations of more liquidity and, you know, looser, or easier monetary conditions. Um, despite the fact that really we're not seeing that and again we you know while we talk about unemployment we haven't you know we still really haven't seen the effect of five and a quarter percent rate hikes at this point you know from the from the march lows of last year we've had a very aggressive rate hiking campaign that is really yet to truly impact a lot of the economy we're seeing bits of it but we haven't really seen that impact of higher rates you know corporate profit margins are still high still very elevated Companies have been able to maintain those corporate profit margins so far, but the question becomes how long can they do that until the consumer really starts to slow down here and and those margins have to decline in order to make sales. And that's going to be one of the things that is coming down the road that markets are pricing in a, a very aggressive earnings increase between now and 2024 that may or may not occur and if we don't see earnings begin to really recover sharply and and which would suggest a very strong economic growth environment it's going to be really hard to justify valuations where they currently are so you know the the problem i think that the the fed's going to have uh, and and particularly if the market is right is that you start seeing earnings recover economic growth pick back up then all of a sudden inflation isn't going to go back to where they thought it was
2: Right. And that's the Fed's biggest concern is that you get a dip in inflation and then it comes right back up. And that was the 1970s. That's what kept happening. And that's, you know, I think Powell's been reading a lot of history books and that's his fear. And that's what he's trying to ensure does not occur this time.
1: Yeah. Um, I thought this was uh, kind of, uh, you know, talking about some of the commentary that came out. One of the things that he, he had talked about yesterday and again, when the initial meeting came out or the initial minutes came out, it basically talked about a skip and, and we're, you know, we're not going to hike rates now. We're skipping this meeting. Um, one of the reasons the market rallied back yesterday was because Jerome Powell really didn't commit to a skip in his press conference, which the markets took as, oh, well, maybe this is a permanent pause and maybe they aren't going to hike anymore. And that's one of the reasons the market rallied back. Jeff Gunlack out yesterday saying the same thing. He thinks the market or the Fed is done hiking rates at this point. I guess we'll see. All right, we'll come back from the break. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on with the markets, obviously. And, you know, we're, we're starting to get pretty extended here, pretty overly bullish. Um, kind of how to navigate this from here. We'll talk about that with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. Don't go away.
0: advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So in this
1: environment then, you obviously don't like risk assets. If you think that the stock market is in, at least part of it is in what you're describing to be, I don't want to use, you know, you didn't use the word bubble, but it sounds like you're describing something like that in a certain part of the market, what, what do you like here and now?
3: Again, I haven't really changed my game plan for about a year and a half, maybe even coming out a year and three quarters. And that is systematic upgrading in fixed income portfolios. Uh, that, that this is the perfect time to do that because we've had, with the stock market going up, a pretty nice rebound and a bid that was completely absent. Uh, a few months ago, even in triple C assets, which are doing well in the junk bond market. But I think this is the time you want to have a barbell portfolio with some risk assets, primarily in bonds. In the past, we spoke, Scott, of a 30-60-10 type of portfolio, stocks 30, bonds 60, and then something like gold, maybe 10%. That's just a proxy for some sort of real asset. Take your pick, your real asset of choice. But now I think you should be 20% stocks, uh, uh, 60% bonds, and 20% in that real assets. Uh, the fixed income market is very cheap compared to the stock market. I've talked about this. You can get 5% in a very high-grade bond portfolio with no default risk. You can get 8%, 9%, 10% in a well-positioned, actively managed fixed income portfolio. That is taking middle part of the capital structure at this juncture. Triple C, I don't like it all. You know, even even single B, I think is starting to be something you might want to upgrade in uh, away from higher up. You can get all these yields, and you have all this upside. What people don't understand is thanks to the fact that rates went up a lot, and f- the fact that spreads on risk assets and bonds are somewhat elevated. They're down from where they were, but they're at about 450 basis points. I mean, you're talking about prices that have went from 100 on these uh, credit bonds down to 80, 70, 60, 50 because of those rate increases and some of the fears. When you buy risky credit or moderately risky credit and fixed income at a price of 100, you've got a really bad proposition because they can't go up very much. If if the prices go up, they'll just refinance them because the prices going up means that they can. Do new issue bonds at lower yields, so they'll refinance them and they'll take your coupon away. But when you, and, and you have all that downside. If you start out at 100, you can go to 80, 70, 60, 50, which is what happened. But if you start out with a portfolio of bonds at 60 or 65 cents on the dollar, you've got 50 percent upside to par. You have stock market-like upside. Maybe even I would I would argue even greater upside than the stock market.
1: And that was Jeff Gundlach from uh, Double Line on CNBC yesterday talking about the market and, and making really kind of two key points about where the market is right now. And the first is he was talking about 20% stock, 60% bonds, which is, you know, you're sitting to scratch your hands like, well, why would you want to do that in this market? I mean, it's just the market's just going crazy right now. Uh, market's up, you know, 13% for the year. Why would I want to do that? His point is, is that valuations aren't supportive of where company earnings are right now, semiconductors in particular. If you take a look at what's going on with the SOX index as an example, the SOX index has been screaming higher on expectations of, you know, AI and what that's going to mean for, you know, these companies. Yet semiconductor sales globally actually took a downturn. And even recent forecasts don't show the type of growth in semiconductor sales that would support the valuations of a company like Nvidia, as an example, trading at 30 times, pr- or almost sorry, 40 times price to sales. So what he's saying is, is that fixed income offers a both something that the market doesn't provide, which is protection of principal, but also offers significant upside, even in high-quality bond portfolios. In other words, you know, there's plenty of Treasuries out there that are yielding three and a half, four, four and a half, five percent where you have absolutely no credit risk whatsoever, step down that curve a bit, those returns get, uh, you know, uh, predominantly larger. And, and again, so when you start thinking about building your portfolio and these type of things, you know, it's easy to get kind of swept up into this bullish nature of the market. And, you know, with markets running up and, and really seeming not to worry about any risk at all, it, it certainly seems logical to just pile into equities, but... Again, you have to come back and look at, at valuations, earnings growth potentials, those type of things. Mike, I don't know if you could hear the interview, but uh, your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I couldn't hear the interview, but but based on kind of what you said there, from these valuations. You know, I think this is what makes investing very tricky is that you, you take a company like NVIDIA whose earnings, I think were actually down a hair from a year prior, but there's so much promise in AI that the future growth is tremendous. Now, as a as a investor, a long-term investor, you you buy Nvidia and you're buying into that future growth. But unfortunately, the market goes back and forth. Sometimes it loves the idea of future growth, other times it becomes very focused on what's happening here and now, and and it waffles back and forth. So you know, the last few months, AI, 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 AI. That's what the market's focused on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the growth, the potential growth associated with AI, but the market can change, and all of a sudden, it can say, "Well, what about a recession by December? What about slowing, slowing sales, a consumer that's finally struggling? What about a rising unemployment rate?" And you go back and forth. I mean, remember, tech stocks struggled late last year. AI was around last year. AI isn't a brand new invention. If you think about it, you're. You know, you use AI all the time, whether you're using like Google Maps or Waze. Plenty of things that you use have AI embedded in it. Um, so, you know, that, that's why you're trying to always latch on to the market narrative. And a lot of times the market narrative isn't what's really going on on the ground. And that's, you know, there are times where those divergences are huge. And that's, you know, where it becomes very difficult to follow a trend or to go against the trend
1: right and it's something that you know he made a point of he says and this is a this is a quote from his interview he says then you got the S&P 500 which is the really the 493 other stocks outside of the top 7 which have gotten a little bit of a tailwind lately and this is something you've been writing about over the last couple of weeks on our website Um, talking about sector rotations and you know what was going to eventually happen here is that we would see a rotation into some of these other stocks and we've been seeing a little bit of that we've seen a little bit of broadness in the markets over the last week or so which has been encouraging it hasn't been so heavily concentrated in those top seven stocks but again it's still predominantly dominated even yesterday's move was predominantly dominated by nvidia and apple and microsoft that were really kind of dragging the whole market higher um, he goes. Uh, the stock market, frankly, this is uh, Jeff Gunlack from Double Line. The stock market, frankly, is exhibiting signs of a bit of a mania, where you have a very concentrated part of the market that's driving the entire train. And this is, you know, this was kind of his point of downgrading equity exposure in portfolios from 30 in, in his model from 30% to 20% um, because of simply valuations, the ability for earnings to grow at a rate to justify some of these things. Now, that doesn't mean all stocks, right? There are you know, and you and I have talked about it uh, you know, previously here on the show. There's a lot of companies that are trading at very cheap valuations. They have no love whatsoever from the market right now even though they're cheap fundamentally because they're not in the top 10 stocks of, you know, any ETF, right? So they're not catching all these passive inflows. They're certainly not catching on to, you know, the AI train. Um, but there's a lot of very cheap companies that pay nice dividend yields that will give you long-term returns, but those are not what investors want to buy right now.
2: Right, right. And you have to kind of, which hat are you going to put on? Are you going to be the investor that that's willing to buy that stock, hold it for 10 years? And you probably are guaranteed a pretty good rate of return for 10 years, but you could suffer – for one or two more years before the returns improve mm-hmm. or you're going to buy one of these AI stocks that's priced for tremendous growth can it get there maybe maybe not but but that's the trend that's the trade and you know the answer is a little bit of both you know you can't put all your money into the AI stock because it is a mania mm-hmm. and Some of them will come back down to earth because the sales and earnings that that's expected just are not attainable. It's just too high, even if some of these pie in the sky forecasts come true. Right. But you also can't you know, you can't sit in all deep value stocks because they become even deeper value (laughs) because their price keeps dropping.
1: Right. And and, and, and that, that yeah that's and that's the issue and that that's what's frustrating for investors and and particularly that's been the case this year you know if your portfolio is anything other than seven stocks you're you know you're really probably dragging behind the overall market this is a problem that a right. lot of portfolio managers are having this year because just from a good being a good prudent steward of capital you wouldn't shove all of your clients money into Nvidia right it may it may seem like a, a wise idea. But you know, this is it, it and it's amazing how fast people forgot that NVIDIA lost 50, 60, 70 percent of its value just last year. And right. yes, it's gotten it all back in a very short time frame, but that usually doesn't happen, you know, in the marketplace. This is kind of a, a one-off, but you can suffer very big losses, and we'll likely probably see another downturn like that again with NVIDIA um in particular as sales don't mature as fast as the market expects. And just as a good example, we talked about before is that when things are coming along like this and there's so much demand for AI that this is going to drag in new competitors into the market, that's going to dilute market share, that's going to dilute earnings. Uh, AMD just announced a new AI chip as well. Uh, It's already getting adopted potentially by companies to run their AI services. And that's taking away from those $250,000 GPUs that NVIDIA was planning on selling. So this is all going to become a very interesting uh, market cycle as we go forward. But the the important part here is, is to always focus on preservation of capital investing things that you know will grow over time make you money pay you a dividend while you're waiting and protect your capital on the downside all right quick break we'll come back uh finish up the show with michael Woods. don't go away
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: So get ready to kind of wrap things up this morning uh retail sales out this morning and this is going to be the next uh kind of batch of data to take a look at um expectations right now are retail sales month over month for may is negative 0.1 expected and that was uh up uh, down from a 0.4 previously retail sales excluding autos and gas gas are expected to be up 0.1 percent however Credit card spending data suggests these numbers could come in quite a bit stronger this morning, and again this and Mike, this is going to kind of be another conundrum for the Fed right is retail sales really aren 't slowing down um, as much as the Fed would like, and again kind of going back to talking about you know this kind of reacceleration of inflation potential that comes from the consumer right if the consumers are out there actively buying stuff and and keeping prices elevated and, and companies can go, oh, look, you know, we're we're selling our widget for a dollar. We raise it to a dollar 20 and they're still buying it. Let's raise it to a dollar 30. Oh, look, they're still buying it. That's inflation. What the Fed's wanting is for companies to have to go, look, I've got to cut my widget from a dollar to 90 cents to try to get it sold. That's what the Fed's trying to get to. Um, but uh, retail consumers really aren't playing along with the game like they're supposed to here. So, you know, this is going to be kind of interesting to look at the report this morning. What do you think is going to – what are your expectations? Uh,
2: you know, the, the problem with retail sales is it's nominal. It's based on prices, how much you actually paid for something, versus it doesn't strip out inflation. And there's no great way to strip out inflation from retail sales because it should be based on those. The inflation is based on what actually sold, not not a basket of goods as defined by the BLS. So, so the number has been pretty volatile versus expectations, and a lot of that is inflation. And inflation is also what's behind some of these corporate profits, both both gains and losses. Uh, some companies have been able to pass on inflation plus a little extra that helps their margins. Other companies are struggling to pass on inflation that can hurt their margins. So inflation is a big deal for many reasons, but kind of one of the underappreciated reasons is that it really screws around with our economic gauges. It's, it's hard to know what's really going on when inflation is kind of not at that steady, you know, one and a half two 2%, And it's kind of baked into all the numbers. So when you look at something from this year versus last year, inflation was running at the same rate. It's easy to compare. So many comparisons, so many numbers are just skewed positively or negatively, you know, every which way because of inflation. So retail sales is the hardest one. Uh, There's a, a thing called the Red Book, Johnson Red Book sales that are they come out weekly and it's a uh, proxy for retail sales. And they have been coming down now for about a year and a half. And this is growth. They're basically flat now. So they're basically showing no more growth in retail sales. And that's been a long, steady trend lower uh, in the growth rate. So, you know, and right now they're saying retail sales will be, let's call it zero, right? Zero. And then you add in inflation, which is running. You know, 0.2 percent a month, 0.3 percent a month is actually negative growth. So they're buying less, but they're paying more, which gets you back to kind of zero growth. Um, but Lance, I don't know. I mean, it it could it could surprise to the upside, like some of the credit card data is, is saying. But that number has been volatile, and it also gets revised significantly. So regardless of what they say today, when we go back and look at that number in three months, six months or a year.
1: But, yeah, no, this is going to be kind of one of the the challenging issues is the revisions to the data, of course, and, and whether or not we actually continue to see this much slower rate of economic growth that everybody's been expecting. And we keep expecting this decline. Another good example of data coming out this morning that's really been stubborn is, of course, jobless claims. Uh, jobless claims are out this morning and they're expected to come in around 250. Um, you know, this, you know, normally, right, we don't even start talking about recession until we get jobless claims above 300,000. And we're have been, you know, maintaining this 250 to 260 range now for months. Jobless claims just really don't seem to be picking up much at all, which, again, kind of belabors that point of the economy remains a lot more stubborn uh in terms of its resilience to higher rates and and tighter monetary policy than not and, and and again you know supposedly you know we're continuing to see the fed tighten monetary policy through both you know higher rates and quantitative tightening But yet none of that really seems to be case. And and if we take a look at the liquidity indexes, et cetera, liquidity has been rising in the markets that's been helping boost asset prices here recently. So it really doesn't seem like the brakes are on as hard as it may look at the surface. Right.
2: Right. There's a can you hear me? Okay. Yep.
1: Yep. Gotcha.
2: There's a uh, term called labor hoarding, and it's pretty interesting. And it's relatively kind of new term and basically what it says is that it was so hard to find employees for the last few years that companies are hoarding labor so they may not have a need for some of this labor or they may not have 40 hours of work for some of these employees but they're holding on to them for fear that if they lose them they won't be able to replace them in the future so this is another reason why monetary policy is is not acting is not having the effect, not putting on the brakes like it normally would because companies are not firing people. You know, jobless claims have ticked up and they're not at at obscenely low levels anymore. They're kind of back to averages but trending higher. But there's nothing concerning in the employment data. That would lead us to believe that the, the labor market is going to cool off significantly. However, when the economy slows, if it does, and, and you know, this is all circular, because it's hard for the economy to slow without people being laid off. So, you know, once this circular engine, and if it does, kind of gets into motion, I think labor hoarding goes away, because it then becomes, do you want profits? Or do you want to hold on to people that aren't working? Yep. And that's kind of the age old question you know, uh, it's
1: interesting though you said that this is a fairly new term i want to read to you something here real quick uh since the end of the financial crisis business has been increasing bottom line profitability by massive cost cuts rather than increases in revenue of course one of the highest costs to any business is labor one way that one can measure the view is, of course, look at corporate profits per employee. The problem that businesses are beginning to face is that while they have slashed labor costs to the bone, there's a point where businesses simply cannot cut any further. At this point, businesses have begun to hoard what labor they have, maximize that labor force's productivity, and increase that uh, that productivity through additional employment of technology. Um, that was this really smart guy that wrote this back um, in 2015. Um which, you know, this has actually been a problem that we've been talking about. for long, Oh, I was the guy that wrote that, by the way, um, back in 2015, because this is the same thing we saw back then coming out of the financial crisis. We're now seeing that same type of issue again, to your point, Mike, which is they don't want to get rid of labor. And it's better to supplement the labor they have with increases in technology, which is now why AI is such a hot thing.
2: Right. So so Lance, but let's also look where the jobs have been for the last year. Every labor report has shown it's in the services in, in like the restaurant business, entertainment, travel businesses, right? That's where, that's where the labor has really been added. And, you know, when the wheels start coming off, that's probably where they're going to come from. Um, My daughter is in New York for the summer and she has an internship, but she's waiting tables to make some extra money. Her first day there, she walks down the street, puts a resume in at six restaurants and has four offers. Mm-hmm. So they are still desperately in need of 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 help at restaurants. They're, they're You know, you probably see it in Houston when you go out to eat. These restaurants are still crowded.
1: Um, yeah. And that's, that's so, that goes back to the point of retail sales. I mean, you know, despite right. higher rates and everything else and supposedly a slowing economy, restaurants are full.
2: And and the the cost is high. (laughs) Right, right, right. And what's going to change it? What's going to change it is when people start getting laid off. But because then you're you're you know, you start changing your habits. Oh, my neighbor got laid off. Maybe we're not going to go out to eat this week. Let's let's save a little bit of money. But your neighbor's not getting laid off. No one's getting laid off. So, again, it's this circular issue. When will when will the labor market feel it? And then that can kind of that puts the whole recession thing into motion but again until we see the employment market markedly change the odds of a recession remain low but but the you know the labor market can change quickly and when the NBER does call recessions which they do in hindsight and they revise them we've seen that employment rises rapidly as the recession starts so That's right. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it can't happen quickly either. Right,
1: and but you know this is the big challenge for managing money though. Right now, you know markets are bullish, prices are rising, people want right. to be invested, people want to make money, um, and the fears of re- of recession are you know receding rather rapidly here. So. But again, you know, also, too, that's the way psychology works in the market. Everybody was expecting a recession last year, which means it's probably not going to happen. And now that everybody's not expecting a recession now, well, maybe we can actually have one. So we'll (laughs) we'll see what we'll see what eventually happens. Um, Okay, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it very much. That wraps up the show for the day. Next week, we're going to be on for two hours from 6 to 8 (laughs) a.m., And we'll be using from 7 to 8 to take live questions all week. So we'll be taking your questions next week from 7 to 8 a.m. right here on The Real Investment Show. So tune in next week. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, also, be sure to go by the website. Subscribe for our, our newsletter. will be out this weekend. Mike's latest article on Part 2 of Sector Rotation is on the website now. It's all there for you, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send your questions, comments, and emails, and stick around. We'll have our three minutes uh, before the bell video coming out here in just a few minutes. Have a great day.